to the wireless podcast where the beer flows fast free and frictionless on today's show we talk about chinos electrosensitivity and alan's problem i'm your host dan jones i've got ryan dodds christian roberts and every pub's number one customer mr alan blake hit it <laughs> it's okay how's it going everyone <clears throat> Good. Good. Awkward silence. Ryan, Ryan, have you got have you got paint all over your face? I do. Yes, and <laughs> you know I do because I said, but you can't see because the webcam isn't that good. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of that. So, what we what are we drinking tonight, guys? I'm drinking uh, spiced rum and coke. Spiced rum and coke. Yes. Standard. Um, Ryan summer fruits uh, juice because you can't paint steaming so <laughs> you can and i recommend it you get a lot of it's, it's really good <laughs> you haven't lived i usually paint my walls rather than steaming <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do before painting for, for those of us listening in and don't understand what steaming is it just basically means very very drunk and it's a geordie term right well the scots tend to use it as well I, th- I think most thing. Yeah, most Geordie terms mean drunk, trolley, steaming, <laughs> walking, waking. But you know, oh. Ryan, you're looking, you're looking good, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Thank you, Alan. I, I really take that as a compliment from you. Thank you. <laughs> Alan, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Pride and Joy, actually. Pride and Joy. It's, it's it's a <laughs> not that kind of pride and joy. It's actually <laughs> it's actually a hoppy IPA, and it's um, brewed by the Vocation Brewery Limited. Hmm. Nice. And nice. and it's very very tasty, and it is my pride and joy because I like my beer, as you well know. Lovely. I'm um, I'm sticking true to myself. I, I'm I've gone apples, <laughs> and West Country. So. Perfect, perfect mix with the cider. Um, great guys. Well, thanks for thanks for turning up at the pub. I thought we could probably try and do this, you know, semi regularly. Try and meet up and just chew the cud and chat chat through a few things. Um, Christian, I know you you were talking about you wanted to uh, get the, the ball rolling with um, Wi-Fi six E and and the, the the stuff that's coming up with that six E. Yeah, that's so probably Wi-Fi. because. Uh, if he goes first, that means he doesn't have to get a round in at the end. Uh, standard. Is that because everyone then leaves and they'll be like, no, 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 got to go early. Uh, got to drive, so. <laughs> Short arms, deep pockets. That's right, yeah. If I if I go first, I'd have to buy any drinks. So, so yeah, I wanted to kick off tonight's discussions around Wi-Fi 6E um, uh, and I guess what it means for us in the UK and more globally. Uh, I, think, I think most of the... Um, news we've had is sort of us based um but yeah obviously um it's 
it's 802.11 AX in six gigahertz. Um, I think in the UK, that means we get about 500 megahertz of spectrum um, and the US get 1.2 gigahertz, I think. Um, and, and I know currently um, Ofcom have, have sort of released uh, some documentation and, and requested uh, commentary on it about using six gigahertz and um, uh, non-DFS in 5.8 gigahertz as well, which is quite key. So I, I guess to kick off, what, what are you, all your thoughts on, on how this is going? What do you think is what impact do you think it's going to have on on Wi-Fi and and your customers? Uh, for for me, I suppose to understand how the radios will play within the physical the physical boxes themselves, physical access points. Um, I can't imagine they're going to have a two point four radio, a five gigahertz radio, and a six gigahertz radio all in one box. Um, Why not? It'd be interesting. Well, it would be interesting if they did. Um, I've heard some people saying that you know, oh, they'll be able to enable it with a firmware upgrade, but I really doubt that because there's quite a lot more to it than just firmware. Um, so you you think that you'd be able to do two point four, five, and six all in one enclosure? Yeah, I reckon they could. I reckon they could um, manufacture the antennas, though? devices. Well, they can make them dual band like they do already with 2.45. Why couldn't they do it the same with 6? I, I guess you can. You, you get dual 5 now, don't you, with a macro micro cell? And I know some people are, um, you know, the jury's out for some people on that. But I, I think one of the problems with 5 gigahertz and 6 gigahertz is spectrum-wise to sit shoulder to shoulder. So you, you're going to have to have a... a a nice degree of separation between the two radios. Um, but I, I guess from a power requirement, cramming three different radios into an access point is going to obviously increase the power draw and probably need people to go for, you know, UPOE or POE plus. And, and that's another consideration I guess people are going to have to take, or if not, they're going to be less capable with less power. I mean, so then, that's, that's coming already though, isn't it? In terms of people expecting to have to, reserve more power for access points you know with the eight by eight radios and stuff that are coming out now for for ax wi-fi 6 stuff from what i've seen is you can do so some access points will do the eight by eight but depending on your um your power requirements and your power draw uh it might limit you to four by four which yeah. <laughs> to be honest we we're, we don't see many four by four clients now so for the majority of people four by four is fine I mean, it would be interesting to say that, you know, taking that one step further, and if you did have an access point that was 2.4, 5, and 6, but let's say you only had 30 watts of power, that you could determine which radios you wanted to enable. Maybe it's just 6, maybe it's 5 gigahertz. You know, maybe you have that option to choose. Innovation. Think about it, right? No one's going to want to make any device or access point that is handicapped by not being able to run all three radios at the same time or the option to run one, both or another. All right. I generally think that the vendors will manufacture this and I'll find a way. So there'll be good shielding between, I guess, a five gig and a six gig radio because they're very closely, I guess, uh, on the spectrum. So it's possible. I think they can, they can certainly do it. And I think with clients as well, maybe we might see a drop, the 2.4 radio. Who knows? I mean, why not? They could just yeah. 
I think 2.4 is always going to be around, and that's because the radios are cheaper to produce, isn't it? And and as you start getting further up the spectrum, the radios become more expensive because the components you need become smaller, especially the radios. And when you cram more into a phone, it, it's it's more difficult to manage, and it's more power constraints. So uh, it, it'd be interesting to see what client vendors do because if they're going to be doing two five uh, two four five and six in a single device then it, it increases the complexity of that device quite a lot, especially when you come to roaming and, you know, picking preferred bands and stuff like that. What about cellular radios that's also in these phones? So you've got, you know, LT, uh, 4 gig, uh, sorry, 4 gig, 4G, 5G technology coming out now. I mean, that's also a radio chip as well. That's not using the same Wi-Fi chipset as Wi-Fi. So why couldn't they, you know, it's getting complex now. It's got how many, if you count them up, it's got potentially three radios in it already. What is one more? Just to throw it out there. I think the at the moment we talk about dual band a lot. And how it hey, started. That's my third one. <laughs> um, when we talk about dual band now, we talk about 2.4 and 5. But realistically, we could actually be talking about tri-band. <laughs> what are you doing, Alan? Alan, is that not good? <laughs> I've just tasted something Dan just uh, served me. It's called... Ellensburg session IPA and it's uh, disgusting. Dan, can I have something else, please? <laughs> Are you going to finish it? Of course. I'd be, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be British if I didn't. <laughs> Ain't wasting my money. Of course I'm drinking it. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's the auctionman way, isn't it? <laughs> what I was saying is the, um, the, we talk about dual band. Potentially we could be looking at tri-band, but wouldn't it be interesting if in future... Because at the moment, dual band is, we have no option but to support 2.4. But wouldn't it be interesting to find that some vendors might say, you know what? Our dual band is 5 gigahertz and 6 gigahertz. Uh, yeah, or they might, they might opt to go for an SDR and, and have a, a sort of an XR5 6 gig radio. Uh, like, I was thinking like from a client perspective. To yeah, that, that's, that's what I mean. Clients might choose to go down that route anyway because, like I said, the, the, there's not a lot of spectrum between five and six gigahertz and with a bit of clever engineer engineering of the antenna you could probably cover some of the six gigahertz band and some of the five gigahertz band but it's i think like i said the jury's now isn't it we, we don't quite know what's going on we don't know what the access point vendors or the client vendors are doing so how long do you think, think it'll the... be before we see anything pass have no idea <laughs> it must be soon yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things for me was the, the non-DFS in 5.8. I think that was, in terms of the things that they announced, I think that was, that was one of the things that excited me more was because we already have clients, we already have devices, we already have things deployed that we can now use that extra channel stuff with. You know, the 6 gigahertz stuff is great coming up, you know, in the future, but that's something that, that we can get our hands on right now and make use of. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 some of the bigger vendors in in Europe um, certainly don't support the the DFS channels in band C, um, and it's a big gap. Um, so I, I know Cisco don't, for example. I think Aruba and Ruckus do. Um, but you know the the clients are out there. They support it. The clients are predominantly built for a US market. So if if my theory is, and I've not had it confirmed by anybody, but I I really think band C is 
not supported by many vendors because of the DFS requirements. And I think as soon as Ofcom lift those, um, we'll, we'll start seeing firmware being rolled out to, to existing access points and, and gives a nice bigger chunk of spectrum to use. Yeah. So, yeah, nice. so, so you realize at the minute that there's a, I guess a request, what's the word use a request for comments from Ofcom regarding um, improving the spectrum access for Wi-Fi in both five and six gigahertz bands, right? So they've, you've seen that document. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, mm -hmm. a there's a certain individual, actually. The guy goes by the name of McFly. You may have heard of him. Oh, and he, he, Yes, Mr. Andrew McHale. He actually volunteered himself to take up on the mantle of answering the questions and responding to this um, request for comments by Ofcom. Um, I haven't heard from him in ages. Should we give him a bell and see where he is? Yeah, let's, let's give him a ring. I've heard he's got five colours in his hair as well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much hair these days, I think. But I'll um, let me let me see where he is. I know he's working nights. Send me a text message and you'll get a quick response. I'll leave a voicemail. I'll get back to you. Oh, oh. oh. McFly, what is wrong with you? I hope he. Um, I, I hope he listens to this. Hey, McFly, don't hang up on me again. You're on live on our podcast. Where are yep. you? Call me. I imagine his phone's on a DFS channel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so silly. Andrew doesn't have DFS channels in his house. It's like swearing. Oh, he's messaged me. He says, Has he? Not tonight. Just about to start a huge upgrade. Yeah, he's lying. Uh -huh. he's, on his PlayStation. <laughs> he's on his PlayStation, isn't he? That's what he's trying to do. He's pretending he's working. To be fair, there was a 17 gig update for Call of Duty last night. So Was it? Is that what he's doing? It'd be on a toilet paper run. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said an upgrade, not a downgrade, but there we go. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, well, have you boys seen the document? It's out there for us all. Um, it's, it's there. There's some questions kind of that they posed at the end. I don't know if you guys have actually seen any of these. So uh, they're quite interesting. Um, I was actually going to ask you a few of them, actually, to be fair, for a giggle and see what we could kind of, um, kind of get as a kind of answer from you boys, but... Is it know. multiple choice? Um, yeah, everything is just C, <laughs> C, 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 C. That's how you that's how you pass an exam, isn't it? You just if you don't know the answer, just circle C. That's always what I got taught. No, maybe not. Okay then. But uh, yeah, well, I guess at some point we should represent the Wi-Fi community in, in Great Britain because otherwise um, it's likely that the telcos may be the majority that respond to this document, and it may well be that it's their their opinion that is more biased towards, I guess, their commercial interests, that they get the things they want in and influence Ofcom's decision. Um, so it's really, I guess, in, in our Wi-Fi community to kind of band together and uh, maybe yeah, put something out there and respond to this. So call on all you Wi-Fi peeps in Great Britain, Ofcom.com and, well, no, it's not, it's Ofcom.org.uk. <laughs> are you going to read it all out? Um, no, no, just, just, just go and find it. It's on. We can, we'll we can link to it. We'll link to it in the show notes. We, we can, we can do this. We, 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 we could use, make use of modern day technology. We're amazing. You know, we're in the pub right now. We, we're not on PCs, right? <laughs> yeah, of course we are. Nice. I do it when okay. I get home. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I think, um, I think like stuff like that, like, just knowing that there that there is somewhere where we can go to have a voice on this, I think that's actually really important um, because so often, you know, we kind of complain about things that just get decided for us. Well, 
you know this is this is our way of being able to hopefully get our voice heard on this yeah definitely but i guess just to move the conversation along a little bit as well as um we touched on wi-fi sexy wi-fi 6e um in about this uh i guess i guess the question is making it or determining that actually ax is going to move into six gigahertz now what do you think about that do you think that's a do you think that's a good idea or do you think it's an op- a missed opportunity by the ieee to kind of i guess revise the 802.11 protocol to be something that's more efficient better and can operate at greater speeds rather than utilizing ax and its current backwards compatibility um, requirements for a six megabits preamble what do you reckon missed opportunity yeah i I think i think 802.11ax is probably the the right technology to go into six gigahertz i just think it could have done with a little bit more time um especially to to remove all the all the sort of little features we've got for backwards compatibility you mentioned such as the legacy preambles um it's it it, whatever we do in six gigahertz is obviously going to set the future for that band and if we if ax for example uh doesn't get any any doesn't get the legacy features removed then we're going to be living with that for a long time um and and it's stuff we've already been living with for a long time that um a a lot of people are keen on um so i I think it's it's a missed opportunity um hopefully the ieee uh are working on it right now because it's still not finalized but i doubt it yeah it, it feels it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity doesn't it because it feels like with a completely new band you almost could walk away entirely from the way that Wi-Fi has been deployed and maybe move towards something, you know, more akin to, to LTE. Um, but then do you need to do that? Because obviously having that many channels, you know, that with so little interference, um, I think it was, um, I think it was you Christian that said to me that the noise floor is going to be like crazy low on that. Yeah, that's right. Some of the uh, some of the things I've I've read online suggest that the noise floor um, is is as low as near 160, which which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and crazy. Uh, it, obviously, we need to test it as as we get our hands on six gigahertz capable kit. But it's it's you know y- you can atre- achieve sort of a, a really good SNR with fairly low signal strength and well, very low signal strength, in fact. It's, it can hear a <clears throat> fart in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you good. Does does that does that mean then though that we're going to be able to use these much much higher data rates that they're talking about? You know, these kind of things that you know when they bring it out in five gigahertz, it's kind of like oh yeah, you, you know, you're never going to actually see MCS nine regularly. You know, you're never going to get those high high data throughputs. You know. It, the, do you reckon that will mean that in the six gigahertz, that's more likely to happen? Until we get our hands on it, yeah. Uh, obviously, you, you've got to consider that we're going to be at some point rolling out access points and clients that are five gigahertz capable, and that's just going to change your noise floor straight away. But um, you know, in a, as, as you see with five gigahertz, if you if you're fairly secluded, then you're always okay um, to start off with. It'll be great, but I think as as we roll more and more access points out, it'll probably slightly you know start degrading. Still a long way to go, though, if you've got 160 dB. I mean, yeah, it can go quite some, can't it? 
It depends who's designed your Wi-Fi, doesn't it, Alan? Could be you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I, I think I think that's that. That actually kind of leads us on quite nicely. I think, like, um, in terms of designing the Wi-Fi, uh, I, I noticed this week there was a little bit of a, a of chat on the the Slack group about terminology with surveying and and designs and predictive oh, and all this kind crap. of stuff. This is not, just Alan winding people up. It's not me just winding people yes, up. Yes, it just, is. Let me tell you something, right? What's a predictive survey? What's a predicted survey? Tell me. What is it? What, what is it? Does it exist? It's an oxymoron term. What is it to you? The predictive part, I know exactly where you're coming from. The survey part, people use this terminology, predictive survey, to do a predictive design within Eggerhow or IB Wave or for some of the survey brands are available. Air Magnet. <laughs> yeah, well, I've just said all three. Air Magnet as well. For unfortunate people. Does anyone use that, by the way? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I mean, I'll, be, I'll, I'll just say <laughs> that if Tamagraph want to sponsor the show, I will quite happily use the product. I, I think just, you all would. I, just just to translate it. Just to translate that, uh, Ryan said that if Ekaha wants to sponsor the show, then they need to send us some Eka swag. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, so, give up, I give up trying to get Ekaha swag. But uh, predictive designs and predictive surveys are always, in my opinion, read as the same. It's basically taking some floor plans, some basic customer requirements, at least I would hope, and then, you know, taking those requirements and then transposing them into a design software and coming up with some nice green heat maps. Now, I know a lot of people who drop access points into an empty map without any walls or attenuation areas drawn in. And they'll say, oh, look, three access points cover this lovely. And then we'll take that through to the design stage, almost, if you like. Um, they'll basically then just say, oh, three access points is all you need, because look, these lovely green heat maps show that that's all you need. And that's a predictive survey. Here's the thing. <laughs> would you use it amongst your peers, or would you maybe use it the customer user, would you correct them and say, ah, sorry, sir, we don't call it predictive surveys anymore. We call them predictive modeling, I like to use, or yeah, predictive designing. <clears throat> would you correct the customer or would you correct the peer more if they used the wrong terminology? Because one other thing I noticed that we use a lot and it's misconstrued is the word survey on its own. How often do you turn around and say, sorry, how, long, how often does someone say to you, I need a survey done? You're like, oh, okay, no problem. And actually what they mean is a design. How often do you hear that? Um, I do, but ultimately I understand what they're saying. I understand what they mean and what they want. Instantly? Well, I think to a certain degree, yeah, because I think it all depends on the context of the conversation. So if somebody says, I would, like, I would like a survey done of my office. I'm not just going to go around and say, well, your walls are uh, 5.6 metres long. Your colours are nice on the wall. Um, and I like your carpet, so there's a survey for you. You can do my surveys. Think... 
<laughs> do you not do you not think though that using the word survey almost gives the wrong impression to the customer straight away because they're seeing it as like a a definitive oh if i put this ap here it's exactly going to work like this i think i think that's the problem i have with predictive survey because the word survey makes people think well this is you know this is done with software that can you know predict all these things 100% accurately and so if i do exactly what this design says then i'm going to get that that result if, if yeah people you're right and for a lot of the times the software is pretty much bang on if people validate it correctly i mean i had a really interesting one sort of middle of last Dis year disagree I did, I, oh, give up. <laughs> disagree anyway, with what you just said right there you would disagree with the color white if it was white but anyway it would. It would be an as i was saying <laughs> <laughs> like the specs on my face yeah, what's that white you've got in your face again, Ryan? It's <laughs> a bit spotty. But, uh, but what I was going to say is, sort of middle of last year, uh, I did a predictive design for a customer. Uh, open plan office, atrium in the middle. Fairly straightforward. And I put my access points in. I adjusted the power levels, and I chose the right access points. I chose the right antennas, chose the right mounting and uh, orientation of those. Uh, I then went and did a validation survey where I basically put the access point, uh, so I took the same access point, popped it into survey mode. I put it in the exact same place, at the same height, same power levels, same orientation, everything. And found that actually that one access point that was meant to give me nice defined coverage cells um, actually covered the entire building. At the other end of the building, I could see that access point at next 62. So was I wrong? Was the information that I put into the software wrong? Um, I mean, because people say, you put shit in, you get shit out. And but, they say garbage in, garbage out. They have a well, better use of language you, on this show. <clears throat> Since when did you become the moderator? <laughs> so, I actually, um, I, I actually rang Nick Turner, who at the time was working for Eckerhow, and I said, "Nick, there's a problem with this software." And ultimately, it wasn't, and it all came down to reflections within the building, not oh, yeah. filing cabinets, things like that. Not me. <laughs> the information I put in was correct. The APs that I was surveying with, all everything was correct, but it was all to do with reflections. Now, had I not done that validation survey, I would have put 12 access points on that floor. Yeah. That, that's was, what that, was, that, was that AP on a stick you did? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I must admit, I think predictive designs have the place if, if you've got a, a big number of sites to do and, the, you know, small retail outlets and stuff like that. And um, what, what you'll probably find is that sort of 85, 90% of the time, a predictive design is good enough rather than paying somebody to go to every single site. Um, and and that's, that's a big sum of money saved. It, it costs a lot of money to get people to go out to sites 
Who's perspective? I'm just. You can see <laughs> me. You just pull, it's, it's like you've just pulled the string, and I've just gone. Um, from whose perspective? Up <laughs> whose perspective, Christine, is that from? Because it's not from mine. Uh, from the perspective of obviously the people buying the service, if it's working for them and they have no complaints and they've paid a lesser sum of money to achieve that, then who's complaining? So you're assuming that every site is the same. So therefore, predictive modeling is the way to go because it would save them money. Yet, if there's anything wrong with that modeling, if the, if the, if the, the Wi-Fi professional only has a, a plan and he has to, I guess, predict where the wall, he has a plan and their people are telling him where the walls are, but he doesn't know, I guess, what the attenuation is of those walls. So yeah. he has to kind of predict and he gets it wrong, whereby, you know, he assumes a drywall. Well, actually, it's a, it's a brick wall that is maybe 10 to 15 dB attenuation loss versus a drywall, which could be three to five. Then that could have massive implications to the design that he's predicted by means of saying to you as the customer, if it were you, hey, um, you're going to need a, you know, some more APs or we need to turn up the, 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 the transmit power of these APs and we may introduce all sorts of other issues. Um, where, you know, what happens then in the worst case scenario, what you don't want to do is have you know, the truck turn back up and the cable installers run the cables through again because that's probably the most important part. So how would you mitigate against that? Do you kind of put a risk of an additional 20% costs if the design is, is wrong and whose fault is that? Is that the professionals or is that the customers because they wanted to save some money? Well, it obviously be the customer's fault because they wanted to save some money, but it all depends on the terms and conditions you offer to the customer at that point. Um, but, but I mean, speaking from experience, I do, I do think that if there is a large volume of similar sites in, uh, I guess, a similar country or region where you know the building makeup is roughly the same, then you can make the performance of Wi-Fi enough to meet the customer SLAs in the majority of cases and obviously there'll be a percentage 25 30 percent of sites where you'll need revisiting but the cost of getting people out to uh, you know all your sites is probably more than revisiting but again i think like it's it's surely it's about that customer interaction right at the beginning there and just laying down those expectations right right from the beginning you know and saying as a wi-fi engineer i would like to go to every site because then i know exactly the 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 scenario I'm working in, I know, you know, I can measure walls, I can, I can have a look at interference that's around, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, but if you're saying that you don't want to pay for that, well, here's, here's my quote with doing that. This is how I want to do it. Here's my quote without doing that, but I've allowed for, you know, a 30% margin so that I can go back and do that when 30% of these places don't work. And I guess that's that's the key bit, isn't it? You guys are Wi-Fi professionals offering services, and and from my perspective, we're customers. Um, so you know, I I see the flip side of of what you guys are seeing. We've got to spend money. We've got to spend it wisely. You guys want to offer the service, and you want to offer the best. Unfortunately, the best is sometimes quite expensive, and you've got Let's, to meet. Sometimes you've got to meet to compromise. So let me put it. Let me put this to you then. In your opinion. What skill set do you need to do a predictive design for you versus the skill set needed to do it properly? Is there a difference in your mind as a customer? Is it price that is the driver for this versus someone else who may have a certification in Wi-Fi certs as long as they're on, but they charge that a little bit more? What's the kind of a driver for you in terms of what's good for 
you know, good is Wi-Fi. There, is there like business. a minimum requirement, do you mean, in terms of like, yeah. you know, do, do they have to at least be a CWNA or an ECSE design or that, that type of thing? Is that what you're... I, I mean, well, is there any stipulation in, 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 yeah, in, yeah. in certifications or is it purely a price metric that you trust company X that delivers Wi-Fi services, therefore they could bring in anybody as long as they're cheap enough to meet the budget applied or do you want someone yeah. who knows what the hell they're doing? I, I guess from a customer's perspective, there's a, a few different things with it. I, I mean, obviously qualifications are important, but you need your contractual um, protection in order to... Alan, I've been the drink. Yeah, you need contractual protection in order to, you know, protect you against somebody who says they're qualified or you expect a certain level of service. You don't get it. You need to be able to, you know, recoup that somehow. But from from a qualification perspective, um, for me and sort of what we do, I think ECSE is enough because it shows you the fundamentals of Wi-Fi. It shows you the fundamentals of of how you use a tool and how you use it, how you design, um, and and. I'll be honest with you. I think if 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 customers started saying we need somebody with ECSE, CDWNA, you know, the list of certs as long as you're on, it's just going to be, you know, a few guys in the UK who can who can do that. So I'm I'm it, all right it, with that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair though, I mean, I mean, just for a bit of context, me and Christian actually met on an Eggerhow course. I regret it. And <laughs> you love every minute of it. You have never looked back. But in all fairness, before that course, I had done Echo House surveys before. I did the walk and click. Um, if anything, walk and click. I think I learned. Is that a dance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> click. What? The walk and click. What turns into a rap song? <laughs> but what's, what's the other one, Ryan? Stop and go. <laughs> Stop and go. <laughs> Stop and go. <laughs> um, the only thing I'd learned was. With, with the Echo House software that was, maybe some different visualizations, some different tips and tricks on, on how to do that. I don't think I necessarily changed the way I survey physically. Um, I maybe it's changed some reporting templates that I was using, but I don't think I physically did anything differently. So why would that make me different? So if I hadn't done the course, I would never have been an ECSE, right? So what makes me different to an ECSE? At least that's like a a baseline, you know, if you've done that, then you at least know that. And it might be that you have skills above and beyond that, but there'll be a lot of people out there that are doing, you know, Wi-Fi designs that, you know, their Wi-Fi designers uh, will stick one there. Oh, that's yeah. It's it's the cowboy, it's the cowboy movement when you get your finger out. It sounds like you do this a lot. I do, but just don't tell my customers that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess it's with with the ECSE course for me. It wasn't really the use of the tool. It's it's for a lot of people. It's the first time they get sort of a, a basic understanding and appreciation for how complex wireless is and how you know everything in your environment can interact with it. And it's it's not yeah. the use of the tool. It's that appreciation, which I think is is sort of key. And you get that from ECSE. I think so. Yeah. The, the, they did the CWNA light, it was, wasn't it? Um, which mm-hmm. I, I thought was a fantastic few days, that one. And, and compare that to CWNA, Christian, because I do believe, congratulations are in order, mm. you recently um, took the exam and uh, you passed. So I did, yeah. Brian's so, going to buy you a beer for that. I don't think he will. Thank you very he's much. Still, yeah. No, to be fair, he still owes me for the last round that I bought. <laughs> Sorry, you broke up then. 
can't quite understand you. I, I think it was Christian's round, and it was, oh, my, my train's coming now. I've got to go. Oh, yeah. Train did arrive. But yeah, I, I did pass. Um, I, I did the self-study. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, it was, it was hard. The, the CWNA 107 book is it's around 1,000 pages, and I read it back to back. Just the ones? That's impressive. Just, just, just the ones. I, I literally finished it the night before my exam. Um, and then I took some practice tests and thought, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I had, to, I had to revisit a couple of pages. But, uh, yeah, I, I managed it. Um, I'm, I'm quite happy with myself because I've, I've never sort of self-studied before. I always rely on courses. But this time I thought I can do it. So, and I did. So I must is that an int- take my hat off to you for that because reading a book for me cover to cover like that is difficult. I would get 10 pages in. I would literally be asleep. I'm not joking. It could it, be one of the most interesting topics of in the world, but I would still find it boring it need, to read a book. Does it need more pictures for you? It does. And I need a color by number at the end. <laughs> that's, your, that's your designs of that guy, isn't it, Ryan? <laughs> yes. Uh, one green, green, green over here, green. <laughs> two orange over there. <laughs> Designed by numbers. Yeah. But honestly, I do take my hat off to you because that, is no easy shift, man. It, it did, yeah. It took about, I think, two, three months to read through, and a lot of it I did have to sort of read twice because I'd had a few drinks and I forgot what I'd read uh, the night before. Um, I've probably read the book about sixteen times over the past three months. But so, how does that compare then to ECSE? Then, does, did it give you anything more or less than ECSE? Uh, a heck of a lot more detail, and yeah, it's it's ECSE was good for the for the basics and sort of you know, finally stepping into, Ooh, this isn't as, this is more complex than I thought. And then you read the book and think, Oh God, this is way more complex than I thought. So do you think that ECSE on its own isn't enough that they would probably be beneficial to take the C or even read the CWNA book to complement the knowledge that they've learned? Because ECSE is geared around the tool. It's the survey tool that you're getting the majority of the tuition in, right? That's where you're being trained. However, there's a lot of concepts that, sure, CWMA like portion of that course will cover, but there's so much more information in the CWMA book, right? That's going to give you a lot more of that, I guess, foundational knowledge that would kind of reinforce some of the things that maybe you did pick up in ECSE, but also mm. apply that in other types of scenarios, but also, again, reinforce the knowledge. Because, you know, if you look at the CWMP program, it's not just CWMA. The next step would be for you would be the professional exams, which would give you design security as well as AP, which is kind of a little bit more in depth. And again, depending on what your aspirations are as a, as a professional, how deep you want to go, how much of a value do you think those courses would be to make you accomplished and be better? Because in my mind, I feel that there's a ceiling with ECSC and just CWNA as far as you can go as, as, a, as a designer that potentially you can go even further that take on bigger projects and, and start to, um, I guess, work with different types of Wi-Fi designs. Now, I'm just pigeonholing you there purely because you've just done one or two courses. But I guess, because I'm a CWNE and I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, <laughs> then all I'm saying is that when I took my journey, when I was really into Wi-Fi, I learned so much more that I wanted to continue to learn. And I felt that what I was learning at CWNA was, was good to get me going, to get me started, so that I could go out there, do the designs and make mistakes and learn from them and, and continue using the survey tools that I was using at the time, but the fact that I learned so much more, it made me a better engineer so that I knew how to not just design, but also to troubleshoot and fix and apply that 
you know, to my job. And it gave me the confidence as well, knowing that I could fix things that seemed to be daunting. Um, but I guess in a way, it made me realize <laughs> some of the bullshit that was out there so that when people start talking to me, I'd be like, ah, no, 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 that's, that's crap. And I can kind of count argument and put my point across from a technical perspective to tell them why I believe that their, their, their argument is flawed. And this is the reason why, because I knew how Wi-Fi worked. I knew DCF. I knew everything that was required um, to make Wi-Fi be more efficient and the limitations of certain protocols and versus, you know, some of the latest iterations like N and AC. So for me, I guess the question coming back to you then is what's the next step and should ECSC, should, should you be more than just an ECSC, CWNA in order to become better as a Wi-Fi designer or, or do you think that that's, that's enough? Uh, it, it obviously depends on what skill level you require. So I'm, it's, it's obviously a politician's answer, but um, if you just need somebody on the ground walking around with Echo and walking in the right places and clicking in the right places, then absolutely not. I guess if you want somebody to do your design, do the survey, do the post, uh, the validation survey, you know, the full shebang, then yeah, you probably do want somebody who has more qualifications just than just an ECSE. Um, obviously, once you start growing above CWNA into CWAP and, and all, all that, uh, all the professional level exams, your resources start getting more expensive and that's probably the breaking point for a lot of retail, uh, not retail, a lot of uh, organisations in, in this country especially. Um, and there's a lot of obviously big cabling companies who can walk around with a laptop with an ECSE set who can offer services cheaper and, and there's a breaking point, isn't there? What are they doing? They're just collecting data. Do they know how to analyse that data to actually understand what that data's given them so that they'll be able to you know, pinpoint the problems or improve the efficiencies or the inefficiency, see the inefficiencies in a design. Are they able, they're able to just use a tool and manipulate that GUI. That's pretty much what they are. But can they do more? Because effectively there's, there's two things I see. You can be, you know, you, you don't even have to be ECSC trained to be, you know, you know, proficient at the tool, right? Any, I can teach my kids. I could teach Ryan to do it for God's sake. So and he would be especially, especially with so. the sidekick and an iPad. It's just survey monkeys, isn't it? It's easy now. Well, to, to be honest, right, um, I've seen this before. And I remember working for a company and we were putting Wi-Fi supply out to a tender. And some people came in and just went, right, we'll sell you some access points, um, which is what I wanted. Then one company came along and said, we can do some surveys as well. And I was like, all right, okay. What, what is that? and say, yeah, we'll give you this. And basically, I think their theory was something like £250 a day to come round and give and produce a heat map report at the end of it. And guess what? Everything was green. And I was like, right, brilliant. Does that mean it's good? Did it work? Green. But, but, uh, I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess the point I was trying to make is, is there's a, a fine balance between cost and skill and it's it's obviously up to the business with the budget to decide where they, they're gonna sort of you know put put their money but you've, you've got to try find that balance point and for me um and for sort of we do it's ecse is enough obviously we get all the raw data back so we can analyze we can change things we can recommend things back on that but you've got to put your trust in someone at some point and if you if you want to pay cw and to go out and do all your surveys it's going to cost you a lot of money
Yeah, but there's an old saying. Yeah, if you think paying a professional is expensive, wait till you hire an amateur. That's why I'm painting my own dining room. <laughs> Statement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I mean, Alan, you've you've got a bunch of certs. You're a CWNE. Um, you know, all, all those types of things. You, yeah, you. Um, like, Jokes. you know, I, I, I agree. Like, you know, the reason for my journey into these certs is because I got, I got fed up as someone who was bringing in Apple devices into businesses. I got fed up of people telling me that it was the devices that weren't working properly rather than their network. And I didn't have the vocabulary, the understanding, the technical ability to be able to say to them, no, it's because of X, Y, Z. Um, so like I, I see the value in these certs because it, it's opened my eyes to this whole massive kind of, uh, industry of Wi-Fi. You know, I was very much just a, Hey, if you stick a couple of access points in, the more access points you've got, the better your Wi-Fi will be. Um, and so t taking that on, what for you is the, is the point in certs? What for you is the thing that that kind of drives you to, to do these new things that come over all the time. I know you're going on the uh, wireless adjuster course, aren't you? Yes. So, you know, what, what, what is it that, that drives you to go, I want to do that? Is it for the cert or is it for the knowledge or is it for the, you know, what is it? It's never for the cert. Let's be honest. I hate exams. And um, we can question certs all day long uh, uh, you know, on their validity. You know, am I, you know, when I have a cert, um, am I proficient at just passing exams or am I actually knowledgeable in what I want to do? The thing, the thing I find for me that drives me forward is, is knowledge is a tool and the more tools I have at my disposal, then the better I am at my job. So mm -hmm. for me, if I can take on knowledge and learn a new tool and, and learn skills and other aspects and the adjuster course coming up, but the reason why I've signed up for that one purely and simply is because it's using a tool that I don't use as often as I probably should. And that's because, you know, it's, it's on a different platform. Let's be honest. You know, I have a MacBook, but I tend not to use Wi-Fi Explorer Pro um, as often as I probably should, because when I'm out in the field or in a, you know, in a terminal or on a shop floor, I'm using um, a Surface Pro actually to run, um, I guess, all my, you know, application software that I need to get by on. So I'm using different tools and, and Wi-Fi Pro does, Wi-Fi Explorer Pro doesn't, doesn't run on a Windows machine as we know. So, so maybe I can benefit from learning some new skills and learning to just basically adjust the way I work because I'm always open to, you know, learn new things and, and learn new methods and efficiencies and, and because I don't believe I'm always, I'm always, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own self-critic that I don't always believe that I'm doing it right. So I'm always looking for reassurance as, as you might think to say like, am I doing this right? You know, do you do it this way as well? Cause if someone else does it and I'm like, cool, hey, I seem to be doing a good job. So yeah. for me, yeah, there's always that driver to learn new things all the time. Whenever there's a, um, you know, the, the wireless, uh, the WLAN Pi, all that kind of stuff's coming out. That, that's a, a great piece of kit to use. Now, again, I'm not using it as, as efficient as I should be, but once there's, I guess, a really good, robust training course out there for that, which Nigel should be doing, hint, hint, then, um, you know, definitely sign up for that course and, and learn new things. And, and that's exactly why I recommend, you know, anybody to, to just, you know, mind and, yeah, look what's out there. I mean, the adjuster course I'm excited about. It looks like it's going to be fun. 
whether I think the exam is worthwhile, um, that's just a personal opinion of mine that for now, I don't think it means a dilly squat, if I'm brutally honest. And I'll say that. And even if Devin ever listens to this podcast, I'll tell him straight. I don't think the exam quantifies that I'm proficient in wireless, uh, in Wi-Fi Explorer or not, if I'm brutally honest. I don't know if you guys share the same opinion, but I don't think it will differentiate me from the crowd. Taking the course will versus taking the certification. And that's yeah. more valuable to me, having the knowledge that's to knowledge, learn. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, all the time. Certs just, I don't know, just, I guess in a way they, they, they rubber stamp you because the certs, I guess you need to differentiate, you need to be different, you need to set yourself out from the crowd. And if it's on your CV, how does anyone else know you are better than the other guy that hasn't mm-hmm. got a cert? To be fair, you can argue all day you've got experience and you've been doing this for 20 odd years. But yeah, you might be doing might the be same doing it wrong for 20 years exactly <laughs> whereas you know there's nothing wrong but i think in, in this industry i think certifications i think are valid and i think they're vital to make sure that i guess in a, in a, in a way that you demonstrate proficiency and also that there's a little bit of quality control with who's doing a professional job because there's a lot of money involved customers mm-hmm. don't want to get stitched up and if they choose someone who's not certified that's their prerogative and, and and if they get a shady job then that's up to them and that's their risk but i think certs are good i've just contradicted everything i've just said about this wireless adjuster exam obviously but i don't think i'm going to take the exam almost to, to to sort of say to me look at me i'm an adjuster yeah. because i don't think it's there yet personally but it could be eventually I, I, I think uh, for, for me certs are a way to prove to myself that I, I, I have a certain level of knowledge rather than to anyone else. I mean, my job doesn't even involve doing wireless at the moment. I've still cracked on with CWA and that's, that's because I, I think, especially in, in, you know, this technology tower where we're different to a lot of people, to a lot of others, because we're all passionate about it. We all love it. We all enjoy it. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a good community to be in. And, and like I said, it's, it's not about proving to my employer that, I can do it or anybody else I can do it it's it's about proving it to myself yeah that's good yeah I, I so think can I just ask I a quick question no I'm gonna ask it anyway <laughs> ask a long is question whole, is the whole course based on wi-fi explorer pro yes so bearing in mind it is a tool that could do packet captures and what I would say is basic analysis in terms of what you can see across the air. It's because you've got a surface. How, well, I've got WinFi, right, <laughs> to be honest. And between WinFi and a WMPI, I don't see what else Wi-Fi Explorer Pro could give me. So That's because you're my course. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> but let's let's be honest. I mean, I I bought a Surface because it's light and portable, and it, you know, for when I'm serving, it's it's perfect. Um, would I pay for a MacBook Pro? Absolutely not. To give me, to give me what the the well, I've got an iPad. You're upsetting Dan. Um, yep. Well, hold on. The uh, MacBook is <laughs> Get out two thousand pounds. Two two thousand pounds plus, and at one point it was the only way to do reliable packet captures. So you could argue that it was value for money. I now have two devices, if not three, 
that do packet captures. I've got the W Lampi. I have a Psychic, although it doesn't do particularly good packet captures. And I have IPA with the capture adapter. That's what Alan's drinking now. So, <laughs> so I, I don't I don't see why how Wi-Fi Explorer Pro could be any different to any of those tools that I've got. It isn't. And if a course it's, is purely based on that, why wouldn't it just be the what the Wi-Fi Explorer Pro course? I guess I guess the reason why is because that it does accommodate other platforms. So the um What's the one that you mentioned earlier? Um, WinFi. For the Windows. WinFi, sorry, yeah. So that also is accommodated. Now, yeah, it's geared predominantly around yeah, Wi-Fi Explorer, but um, what was that one again called? WinFi. 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 I'm going to write this down eventually one day, and I won't forget. So what was it called again? I'm joking. WinFi, <laughs> okay, is something that is very similar in what Wi-Fi Explorer does. It's a scanner, and obviously, you know, it's just navigating the tool in... in I guess, extracting the information from that tool and using it to diagnose faults, to assess, to whatever helps you in your job. And I think that's the purpose of the Adjuster course is to kind of yeah. give you the necessary skills using that specific tool, which is, let's be honest, a considerable amount of money uh, less than what you would pay for enterprise solutions such as, you know, Ekahow, um, you know, um, what else is out there? The, 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 the Air Magnet Suite from, from Netscout, you know? Uh, not Netscape, what they're called, NetAlly, sorry. You know, they're expensive tools, OmniPeak, analyzers, you know, that yeah. kind of kit. It's, it's it, you know, you're paying thousands upon thousands, whereas this is a $100 tool that could be very beneficial, you know, for you to use and being taught how to use it correctly, you might be able to, I don't know, not use some of the licensed tools potentially. I'm not saying that it will, but the opportunity is there. But if it can help you and advance you and make your life a lot easier and you're a mac user then i think it's 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 great um so for me it would also incorporate winfi uh for windows users and i think it yeah i think there needs to be equal i think there needs to be equal content covering the two so that's for obviously devin aiken who's the course designer administrator here to i guess you know make that decision yeah. And I, I think I think it would I think it would be good because I think I think there is more to the course from what I've heard from different people. I think there is more to it than that, and and maybe that's just a failing on Devin's part in terms of letting people know what is included in that course. Um, you know, a lot of people will go to that course just because Devin's doing it, and that's great. And that that is, you know, he you know he's he's got he's got. A name there that a lot of people will want to go and hear what he's got to say because he's a great trainer. He's got great knowledge. People want to go and 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 learn from that. Um, but you know, for someone like Ryan who's kind of going, well, hang on, is it just a is it just a Wi-Fi Explorer Pro? Course? Ryan doesn't want to learn clearly from a great instructor. I'm going <laughs> to be honest with you, right? I just wanted to argue with Alan. I've actually spoken <laughs> to Devon about this course quite a bit, so I do know nice. what the course entails. So I know it's not just Wi-Fi Explorer. I just yeah. wanted to argue with you about it. Of course. You know. But so you, what I quite like, you know, with, with Devon's course and with the ECSE troubleshooting, there is a, a nice trend here where things are moving towards inexpensive troubleshooting you know, bits of kit like the Wyland Pie. That thing blew me away when I first started looking at it. And, and you know, the amount of stuff that you can do with that. I, what I'd love to see is like um, Wi-Fi Explorer 
working on an iPad, but using a YLAN Pi as the NIC or, you know, something like that so that you can, you can be walking around doing your survey with your iPad. And I am going for iPad here and moving away from surface pros that, that you could, you know, because you can't get that data off the iPad. Well, you know, let's get that data off the YLAN Pi instead. That'd be amazing. Um, so I, I really like this trend though, of moving towards kind of cheaper, easier to access tools rather than these, you know, really expensive, they only do one job type tools. What I didn't know, actually, is I didn't realize that Wi-Fi Explorer was also a analyzer. I don't think it was. I, I, I thought that it had, I thought it was Wi-Fi Signal that Adrian Granados actually developed that you could use with Wireshark to kind of choose the channels that you wanted to scan. But I didn't think that Wi-Fi Explorer also had the ability to um, capture and analyze Got loads you got loads is that, in is that true? Pro. wow i didn't know that that's pretty cool um see so that that's I guess my limited <laughs> limited knowledge but this is the thing it's like a perfect opportunity for me to learn something different and think to myself wow you know the tool's available i have it um i don't use it to its full capacity um so that's obviously for me to get on this adjuster course get the skills i need and then boom i'll be like wow you you know eureka moment where have i been you know <laughs> Been yeah, under a yeah. rock somewhere, so or in this pub too long. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I wanted to talk about one more thing that's kind of been in the news recently, um, you know, other than coronavirus, um, is this this crook hack that's that's been crook. kind of going around. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you why don't you kind of explain to us what it is? You know, yeah, should we be burning it. all of our APs? You know, what, what because he's do? a crook. <laughs> I just want to point out that it's crook, not crook. It doesn't have a crook. Uh, it's a crook, right? It doesn't have a crook. Doesn't have an uh in it. Right? That's proper I'll English. Right? How do you pronounce? How do you pronounce it, Chris? Crook. <laughs> yeah, because he's from he's from the south. You see. Ah, that's okay. offensive. That's too far. But uh, it's funny because for you it rhymes with fluke. Which is spelled completely different. Yeah, book, crook. I won't carry on with that. that was... <laughs> anyway, crook. I speak proper English. You don't. The, um, the this will be hack, subtitled. Um, <laughs> the crook hack. Um, to be honest, I haven't really. There's there are some flaws within it. Yeah, and it was obviously raised at the RSA conference, I believe. So um, there's flaws in the hack. So that the vendors, I believe, had advanced sight of all of this. So I believe it hits two two types of chipsets. Uh, one, Broadcom. We all know who Broadcom are. The other one, Cypress, which I have never heard of them. I don't know who they are, what they are. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not too sure if I care. Um, I think they just do ASUS. Although the stuff, Cypress, yeah, the Cypress just seems to be in all the cheap, chatty stuff. Um, and chatty. Was hacked. <laughs> but the the interesting one is that um, people say, oh, it it only affects ASUS and uh, some Raspberry Pis and you know some like really cheap sort of Linuxy type of things. But in reality, it, it doesn't because as I mentioned, it's support it, it it's vulnerable to Broadcom. Now, Cisco use Broadcom chipsets. Uh, I believe predominantly they do use Qualcomm. Um, so what I Apple found is... Broadcom as well. Or well, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I found is that... 
You've just been going through vendor chipset makers. What's the hack? <laughs> how does the hack work? How does, how does the hack work? I well, you've just been waffling for the last I, five minutes about I chipset manufacturers. I don't really need to know because Doesn't all I need to know is it's all about you. The vendor, the vendor has released an update, and they have. So, what so is as long as everyone's running recent firmware, nothing to worry about. Move on. Well, <laughs> you see that. You see that. You have so. For, I'm going to talk from Cisco because that's predominantly the vendor that I use. But two access points that are particularly vulnerable are the 9115s and the 9120s. Now they're pretty, pretty new access points. What's interesting is that the 9130 isn't, which obviously means that they've swapped to a Qualcomm chipset on that. Um, Cisco have recommended version 8.10. It's two releases, uh, 8.10, 128.47, 8.10, 118.69, which, funny enough, isn't available on Cisco TAC yet. Um, I did try and see if I could get that, but I can't find that anywhere. You can't get so, a six, 69 from Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> you're not trying hard enough. I never, I never asked. Maybe you could get one when you team it up again. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so, but in, the, in reality, though, I mean, it's it's WPA two that it that it affects, and I believe it's something to do with the pre-shared key in buffered memory on the access points. Um, but to be honest, I, the reason I said that I don't care too much about it is is that we care too much about WPA two. We should realistically be moving to WPA three. This is reason enough. Yeah to give everyone a kick up the arse to say, right, why are we still with this? We have another standard. Why aren't we using this yet? Have you, have you yeah. tried WPA3 yet? Yes, it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I did. I did, and it, uh, it, my MacBook didn't like it at all. I didn't even bother trying my Surface because that doesn't even like using wireless. And this, this is the thing that frustrates me, right? Because Apple, Apple and Cisco have got this technical partnership for wireless. Literally, it's what they do, right? So why between the two of them, they haven't come up with a working WPA3 solution? It, it frustrates me because it's like, well, that's, that is literally the point of you having this technical partnership. With the, with the market share that Apple and Cisco have, if they did it, got it working and released it, everyone would have to follow um, can I just rewind a little bit and say, how does a crook, uh, how does the crook virus infect Cyprus and all these dodgy chipsets? Christian, do you know? I don't do wireless as a job anymore. I'd, I'd, I'd have to stay up to date with any of this stuff. So, <laughs> I, I, well, let's, it, let's face it though, you don't really care though, do you? Like, well, well, I, I don't because I'm not a wireless <laughs> professional. <laughs> your CWNA, yeah, self, you know, hobby, hobby wireless. This is hobby, <laughs> love it. But you're, not, but you're not concerned about all these, these vulnerabilities. Does this not mean that I guess, especially in your line, vendors of are not, maybe vendors are not doing a good enough job? Because for me, the, the way the crook virus, the, the virus, what am I talking about? It's not a virus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a uh, vulnerability, right? That the crook hack, the crook. Hack as they call it up, at, up north. Up north. Um, why am I even? Why am I mocking you, Ryan? I'm a Geordie as well. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I was just about to say. 
anyway. You may so, have lost your accent, but you never lose your roots. You don't, exactly. So the question I guess have is uh, understanding that the crook, the crook of vulnerability is that it's able, to, it's just buffered, it's just buffered frames that haven't yet been transmitted, but the device has been disconnected uh, from uh, and disassociated, right? And it's the vulnerability that just resets the pre-shared key to all zeros and it's susceptible to a man in the middle attack. So someone could literally capture those frames and decrypt those buffered packets. And if there's sensitive data in there, then yeah, that's what your vulnerability is. Now there's, the problem with that is, I guess, is a few things. Um, you can talk about the security aspect all day long, but I guess the concern I have is, you know, we're talking about AP vendor manufacturers. Typically, I'd expect this from clients. I'm shocked and concerned that I expect it from vendors. If but, I'm honest. Uh, I would uh, expect uh, them to be more robust. Clients, I don't, I don't care because I don't expect a lot from them. They give me a hard time in life generally. Um, but vendors, I would expect more. And coming to like, um, I work with Cisco predominantly, and I have a lot of problems with buggy code, as Brian would probably, you know back me up here, the amount of times that we have these vulnerabilities in some of the controller codes, et cetera, and it gets bloated and it just seems to fail and we have these problems that we just chase our tail constantly. I just find when the crook hat comes out and these chipsets are also on these these APs, you think to yourself, ah, come on guys, do a better job, you know? Um, and then you talk but, about WPA3 not being there and you think to yourself, who's responsible for this crap? But, but I guess every, <laughs> every, every, every security protocol our feature has got a vulnerability. It just hasn't been found yet. So by saying moving to WPA3, that's all well and good, but obviously WPA3 will have some flaws that just haven't been found yet. And as computers get more powerful, um, as decrypting things gets easier because computing power gets more powerful, then, you know, we, we're going to have to do, we're going to have to go through this. We should all just move to mist. Zero trust. <laughs> why, why mist? Because of the, cloud architecture and the fact that they can roll out these little changes quickly and so you don't have to have a whole controller with every AP on the same version and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So, and, the, and basically uh, and basically it just gets basically it just gets rid of Cisco is my main Oh. <laughs> you know what mist in my opinion is the sort of the vegans coming into wi-fi world <laughs> oh the vegans oh we know who they are don't we we know who you we, i bet they're listening in going oh they're talking ninjas. about us now no, sitting, actually, sitting it's, at it's home just a ninja, in his little yellow chinos no, no, no. Max is not a vegan. Little yellow chinos. No, Max. Max not the vegan. He's not. The, he's not the weird one out of the two. Max. Max cool. Ah, oh, orders. So what we got left? We have still got an hour to drink our drink. Are we not going to do a lock-in? Because I've been told I've, I'm contagious. I've caught it, so I need to be quarantined. So I need no, to spend seven days. Last in your orders. <laughs> you got. You got five minutes. I'll. Uh, I'll sit on my tab next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. No worries, Christian. I just had it to last I'll week. Keep, I'll keep mine going if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so did you see, did you see, um, speaking of the ninjas, did you see um, the recent pictures from an ECSC class uh, taken a few weeks back? Um, a certain ninja exposed himself. Oh, the shock <laughs> and the shame. Did you see? Just, I did. did. I mean, I don't know what was worse, the, the colour of the chinos he was wearing or the fact that he <laughs> split them in the photo, whether he realised or not, and then had that... Definitely. That, that smirky little face as if to say, hey, that guys. weird, yeah. perverted little smile that he had. 
sitting yes. in front of everybody as if he knew but didn't actually know makes it look even worse. What <laughs> like, there's something like this. <laughs> what I loved this is, was this is a podcast, no one can see it, your ugly face. <laughs> what I loved was him putting it on the news channel in our Slack. As if like, <laughs> hey guys, don't worry, I've bought some new chinos. Legend. He'll split them as well, let's be honest. But it was, All it right, was highly guys. amusing. Let's um let's let's wrap it up there. We've we've been going we've been going for over an hour. Um, I'm gonna kick you all out of the pub. Thanks for coming, and um, I guess I'll see you guys next week. Yeah, sounds good. Look forward to it, boys. Can yeah. I get a lift home with you, Ryan? No, you can walk. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Just don't piss in the plant pot again. <laughs> okay, say goodbye. I don't ring uh, Matt Wedham. Eh? Ring Matt Wedham, see if he's got any room at his house. I should actually, because he stays in my hotel rooms, doesn't he? At three o'clock in the morning when he can't get into his B&Bs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a story for another day, yeah? We'll do that, we'll do that another week. Alan, say goodbye. Goodbye. Christian, say goodbye. Goodbye. Ryan, say goodbye. 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 Thanks for joining us tonight, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.